welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. One of four dams along the Klamath River is already dismantled. By this time next year, officials say the other three will be gone as well. It's the largest dam removal project in U.S. history and frees up 400 miles of salmon habitat and sacred land for the first time in more than a century. Coming up this hour, we'll hear from some of the tribal officials who helped bring about their vision to return the Klamath River to its original free-flowing origins. We're back right after the news. National Native News, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous people in Winnipeg are continuing to raise concerns and call on officials to search landfills for their missing and murdered relatives. Among the Indigenous women they want found and brought home are Morgan Harris, 39, and Mercedes Myron, 26. Police believe the women are victims of an alleged serial killer and that the remains could be in a landfill. Two camps have been set up in efforts to keep pressure on officials and draw awareness to missing and murdered indigenous women and girls to spirit and gender diverse people. So there's Cat uh, Morgan and Cat Mercedes. On an August morning, firekeeper Shining Gold Star, who lives in Winnipeg, talks about Camp Mercedes, named after Mercedes Myron. He's been there since it was first set up in July in the city next to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. It's to honor the missing and murdered, especially in the landfill. Its focus is on search the landfill. Gold Star walks around the camp where there are a handful of tents and a camp kitchen. Signs are posted all around. Some read, we are not garbage. Search the landfills and no more stolen sisters. There are red handprints and art drawn on sidewalks and benches along walking paths near a river and park. There are also a number of empty red dresses displayed symbolizing those who've gone missing and murdered. The government does not want to look because not only is there in there, but there's other people in there. They don't want to, uh, they're going to have to explain things. I've had people come up to me with shovels from every community, black, white, and blue, and they all said the same thing. We'll do it. A more than 30-minute drive from Camp Mercedes is the city-operated Brady Landfill, where distress flags fly at Camp Morgan, named after Morgan Harris. There are also red dresses positioned around the camp, tents, a wigwam, and teepees. Some people say they've been there since December, while others, like Ida Manuel from British Columbia, felt compelled to come here this summer. My heart going out to the families affected and just had to answer that call. Remains of Rebecca Cantois, 24, another victim, were found at Brady last year. A blockade at the road leading up to the landfill had previously been set up, but was dismantled. Now, dumping continues. For us to have to stand and say, you know, we are not trash, and still not be heard, you know, it really needs to be connected. Uh, Canada's 
lack of respect with what colonialism set out to do to Indigenous. The other landfill, Prairie Green, is privately operated outside of Winnipeg. The Manitoba government is citing costs and health and safety concerns for not conducting a search at Prairie Green for Harris and Myron. Advocates say they're prepared to camp through the winter. They're also hoping new leadership of the province will be elected in October to offer assistance. Last year, Jeremy Sabicki, 35 at the time, was charged for the murder of the three women and a fourth unidentified woman. Native Hawaiian organizations are accepting donations to help those being impacted by devastating wildfires on Maui. The Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement says last week it partnered with another organization on a fundraising drive. They started with $100,000 in matching funds, which has since grown to more than $1.5 million. The Native Hawaiian community is not only losing possessions, but also historic and cultural sites have been destroyed. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. The largest U.S. dam removal is underway along the Klamath River. One dam is largely gone and three others are scheduled to come down by this time next year. The dams have blocked more than 400 miles of salmon habitat for more than a century. Subsistence fishing for tribes in Northern California and Southern Oregon has been a fraction of what it was ever since. After decades of work to get to this point, tribes are now hopeful for the future of the river and the salmon. Today on our show, we're checking in with tribal officials to hear about that hope and the work ahead. We also want to hear from you. What work is being done where you are to bring about environmental benefits for tribes and Native communities? Call in at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE on your touchscreen keypad. Let's meet our West Coast guests for today's show. From the Yurok Reservation in California, we have Barry McCovey, Jr., he is the Yurok Fisheries Director, and he is Yurok. Hi, Barry. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Joining us near Mount Shasta in California is Mark Bransom. He is the Chief Executive Officer of the Klamath River Renewal Corporation. How are you doing, Mark? Doing very well this morning, Sean. Great to be with you. Thank you. Great to have you, Mark. And in Chilliquin, Oregon, we're joined by Brandy Hatcher. She is the treasurer of the Klamath Tribes, and she's a Klamath Tribe citizen. Hi, Brandy. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me today. Let's go ahead and get our conversation started now. And Barry, let's begin with you. And 
one of the main drivers of this project has been to restore salmon habitats along the Klamath River. Once these four dams are removed, how quickly do you expect to see improvements with the salmon runs? That's a great question. Thank you. Um, so there's some pretty serious disease issues in the Klamath River and um, in large part caused by, by the dams and by the uh, the flow regime that's kind of happening below the dams, the unnatural flow river flows that we have there. So this disease um, has been allowed to proliferate there. So it's a, a natural disease. It's probably always been in the river, but because of the dams, it's, it's really taken hold and it, it kills, you know, many, many juvenile fish, um, baby salmon before they can make it, you know, back to the ocean. And so the hope is, is that once we re remove the dams, um, it'll break, it'll break the cycle of disease um, somewhat. Disease will not be as prevalent as it was in the past. So we'll see populations rebound, um, hopefully pretty quick um, in relation to fish disease. Now, as far as fish migrating upstream and recolonizing, you know, the 400 miles of habitat that's going to be opened up um, when we remove the dams, that will take a little bit longer, obviously. It's going to take a while for fish to find the habitat. It's going to take a while for them to get their populations established. And so, um, you know, we're going to be patient. We're going to see how things play out, but uh, the future is bright. So this will happen in stages then in terms of how the impact will be on the fish and the environment. And Barry, how do you protect fish during a demolition process like this? I mean, what are the threats when you, you bring, bring down a big dam like this and just disrupt the river, even though it's going to be taken back to a more natural state? But just that process of tearing it down, it's got to be a huge impact there on the fish. Yeah, there'll, there'll be definitely be some some impacts from the removal process. There'll be um, excess sediment is going to be spilled into the river, the sediment that's been trapped behind the dams for, you know, a really long time. And so that sediment is definitely going to negative, negatively impact uh, salmon this year uh, or next year, excuse me, in 2024 when we begin the drawdown of the reservoirs. Um, you know, it's the, uh, the adults that are spawning this year in the river, their progeny are going to have a, a hard time um, you know, making it out because there's going to be a lot of a lot of silt in the river and a lot of sediment. But um, you know, there's efforts underway to relocate some of those fish, um, and you know, all of the experts agree that um, the the short-term negative impacts of dam removal are far outweighed by the long-term benefits of dam removal as far as um, salmon are concerned. And Barry, as this removal takes place, what are you paying specific attention to? What are you most concerned about with the whole process? Well, I just want to make sure that we're we're staying on on schedule. You know, we we've uh, over over the years um, we kind of we kind of had this pushback, pushback, pushback. So it's really exciting that we've that we're actually underway. We've had one dam removed already. I want to make sure that, you know, drawdown happens when it happen when it's supposed to happen in, in the beginning of 2024. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, the dams continue to be removed in, in 20, in the summer of 2024 on schedule. Uh, from, from that aspect, we really want to make sure that things stay on schedule, but also, you know, we're, we're also going to be monitoring the fishery. We're going to be monitoring the sediment. We're going to be doing all those things that um, scientists, need to do to make sure that this this is uh, playing out um, the way we expect it to. Now, another really fascinating outcome of this project is that there will be 
big portions of land that haven't been exposed, that have been underwater for many, many decades, and they'll now be exposed. And tribes are collecting billions of seeds to bring the land back uh, that's currently underwater. Tell us more about those seeds. How will they be planted, and, and how is that process going to unfold? Yeah, definitely. This is a really exciting part of the project. Um, the Klamath River Renewal Corporation um, hired uh, a consultant resource environmental solutions um, to kind of work on the restoration of the river after the dams are, are removed. And um, resource environmental solutions has is working with the tribes and the Yurok tribe um, specifically on a project uh, to collect native seeds from the area. So for the past five years or so, um, the tribes, um, in cooperation with Res and others, have been collecting seeds from the area of native plants, and then those seeds are being propagated into into plants, and then the seeds from those plants are being taken. And we have billions of seeds collected now. And so, when those when the reservoirs are drained, there's going to be these very large kind of silt bed, mud flat type of areas, and any seed that blows in there um, is going to take root and and grow. Um, we want to stabilize those sediments. We want to stabilize the banks. So we need to we need plants in there but we want to choose what plants go in there we want to we want to have native plants in there um, and so we've been also um, not only have we been collecting and propagating these seeds so that we have these seeds to plant we've also been removing um, invasive species from around the edges of the reservoir so that the invasive species don't jump into those lake beds once they're drained it's a really really exciting and and um, very very cool aspect of this project um, the seed collection and the revegetation it does sound really exciting, but it also sounds challenging, Barry. And I have read that removing the dam is actually the easiest part of this grand vision and the restoration of the river and that surrounding land. That's ultimately going to be the most challenging part. So it looks like this is going to play out over uh, a number of years. And uh, what are you most concerned? I mean, what could possibly just go wrong in this scenario? Like, what are the biggest risks with regard to replanting these seeds and some of these other efforts to restore the river and the land? Yeah, there's always risk um, involved. But, you know, we've been planning for this for decades. And we have, we've had, you know, the world's foremost experts have weighed in on all of this. And so we, we feel like our plan is pretty sound. And um, so, you know, replanting, sure, maybe some invasives could get in there um, and start to take off as far as, you know, revegetation re of those of those reservoirs. But we have plans in place for that to remove those. There's, you know, there's there's unknowns out there. This is the largest dam removal in the history of the United States and maybe the world. And so, sure, there's some unknowns, but um, we have a very skilled uh, group of people working on this that I think are ready for any challenges that might come up. And the consultation among other tribes and state and federal government agencies, how's that all working out? Are you folks all on the same page and communicating? Yes. Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, we've we've worked with, with other tribes on this from the beginning. Tribes, um, you know, the Krook tribe, the Klamath tribe, the Hoopa tribe, the tribes, um, tribes here in the in the Klamath Basin pushed this this initiative forward and we're the ones who didn't let it die when it was um, you know, when it was dying. So we, we brought this thing back to life a number of times and we pushed this dam removal initiative forward over the years. And so we've always cooperated on, on dam removal for the most part. And then, you know, the state of California, the state of Oregon has been extremely, extremely instrumental in making this move forward, as have our, our partners in the federal government. And so, um, you know, we 
we've been doing this for a long time, and so we know how to work together. And sure, things come up, disagreements come up, but um, the the prize is is a restored river. And so we're willing to compromise. We're willing to work together. We're, we're willing to work through any any issues that may come up because um, the the end the end game is is much more important than than um, you know the side conversations. And Barry, some listeners might have questions with regard to the impact on the power supply. And when these these dams are removed, what will be that impact on the hydroelectric power supply that the dams currently produce? You know, it's my understanding. I'm not an expert in this. Um, uh, I think you have a guest on Mark who, who will, could answer this much better than I can. But my understanding is that this will have little to no impact on on the power supply of of. Uh, the nation. Uh, it's, it's a very, very small amount of power is produced by these dams. Okay, great. Well, we'll ask Mark uh, that same question after breaking bread, yeah. provide some more details with regard to the hydroelectric power impact there with the dam. So this is a really interesting conversation, this new development here, uh, big project, largest U.S. dam removal underway along the Klamath River. And uh, one dam is mostly gone, but there's three more that are scheduled to come down. And these are big projects. It's going to take well over a year to bring down these other three dams. So when we come back from break, we're going to learn a little bit more about what goes into to removing a big dam like this and what the environmental impacts are. We're going to talk more about the salmon and some of the plants that are impacted and also uh, how these different tribal governments and uh, state and federal government as well are working together in order to make this process as seamless and the transition as smooth as possible. So really encourage anybody listening today, if you have a question or if you have any experience with regard to dams being removed, give us a call. We'd sure love to hear your thoughts, your perspectives. Certainly are a lot of dams in Indian country in many tribal communities. There are dams as well as hydroelectric power supply plants. So give us a call. Tell us what you know. 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A wildfire in Hawaii has left unprecedented damage in its wake. The number of fatalities continues to rise, and homes, property, and priceless cultural touchstones have been destroyed. We'll get an assessment of the damage from Hawaii and the next Native America Calling. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing the dam demolition along the Klamath River. If you have comments or questions about efforts to remove dams that have caused environmental harm, let us know by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. 
Let's talk a little bit more about the dam removal process. And to do that, we have Mark Bransom, Chief Executive Officer of the Klamath River Renewal Corporation. And Mark, tell us a little bit more about the timeline for these dam removals, about how long will it take to get these all squared away? Yeah, well, uh, Sean, thank you again for the uh, opportunity to, to be with you today. And, and um, thanks to Barry for that uh, really good um, description of the, the work that's underway. This is a very exciting time uh, in the dam removal process. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the first of the four dams has essentially been completely removed. We've got a little bit more work to do on that. For the remainder of calendar year 2023, we're going to be focusing on some dam modifications at the three remaining dams that will allow us to get started in early January of 2024 to drain those reservoirs out uh, and to mobilize and, and move that sediment that has been accumulating behind the dams for almost 100 years and get that process done so that we can then get started with the, the removal of the dams. So this year, we're doing some uh, modifications to some of the low-level outlet tunnels at the dams that will be the point at which all of the water and all of the sediment will, will move through uh, the hydroelectric reach and, and down the river. Beginning in early January, we will open up all the gates and the, the, those tunnels uh, and initiate that drawdown process that will take us into the springtime. Depending on the kind of winter we have and, and the nature of the spring runoff, we may get a little bit of refilling of the reservoirs and so we want to wait until we get back to something that is a little bit more like a summer base flow condition in the Klamath River before we actually start the removal of the dams themselves and the restoration work. Uh, Barry gave a really good description of what that early restoration uh, activity will be to get out onto those reservoir footprints while those remaining sediments are still moist uh, and to get those seeds planted, almost 2,200 acres of land is going to uh, receive a direct uh, form of restoration uh, with these uh, planting activities in, uh, in 2024 through the summer and into the early fall and much more restoration activity then to follow uh, in 2025 and beyond. The remainder of the summer and early fall of 2024, then we will be removing the three uh, big dams each of the dams looks a little bit different, so the construction technique uh, is adapted to the, the material that makes up the dam and the location of the, the disposal sites and so on. So right now, it's all about getting ready for that drawdown in the uh, winter and spring of next year, followed by the removal in the summer. And our schedule uh, is such that by October of next year, we will have established a free-flowing uh, river condition through the entire hydroelectric reach and gotten underway with the initial important restoration activities. October of 2024. And Mark, how do you choose which dams to demolish? Uh, are there some specific factors or characteristics that you're looking at that would make them best suited for this type of project? Yeah, these four dams that we're removing collectively make up the Lower Klamath Hydroelectric Project. So you can think of them as really uh, each dam and each powerhouse as part of a larger system uh, that was operated uh, in concert uh, for purposes of uh, generating electricity. You know, it's important to note that these dams do not serve or did not serve any other purpose but to generate power. 
they don't store water for agricultural or municipal uses. They're not operated for flood control. They basically act like a series of buckets. They don't put water into the river. They don't take water out of the river. There will be two dams above the hydroelectric project that will remain in place, but these four are all approaching or have reached the end of their service life. Uh, um, and, and the electric utility uh, you know, did not want to go through the process of relicensing these dams and entered into this important settlement agreement, um, as Barry said, really driven by the tribes uh, and conservation communities played an important role and the states uh, to transfer these dams uh, and get them removed and do the restoration uh, of the project. And, and as Barry said, in response to uh, one of your questions, the dams really don't produce very much power. My understanding uh, is that they only made up about 2% of the electric company's portfolio of generating facilities. And so it's not going to result in any impact either locally, regionally, uh, or across the Western power grid. Of course, power just goes on to that Western power grid here in the, in the Western United States and it goes where the demand is. And so it's not as though these uh, particular dams you know, are, are uh, powering homes in the region, All right. uh, could just as easily be going to Los Angeles. And Mark, has that always been the case? Do you know if it, in the past, was it possible that the dams generated more power or have they always been pretty minor assets there in the utilities company portfolio, as you mentioned? Well, you know, at the very beginning when the dams were created, they did uh, play an important role in uh, electrifying the region for the very first time. Uh, but there was, uh, you know, just the failure to, to fully grasp or appreciate the environmental as well as the social and cultural impacts that building those dams would have. But yes, at the, at the time they were built, uh, they did provide electricity to the region for the first time and were a much more important part of the local electric company's ability to, to provide power to homes and businesses. Mark, another question I, I want to ask specifically with regard to these lands that are now going to be exposed after many, many years. Do you have any concerns about uh, artifacts or possibly even human remains being uncovered or perhaps in this existing or the, the first dam that already came down? Did you come across any issues like that where you, you came across some old artifacts or anything that needed to be safeguarded or protected? Well, uh, this, this is obviously a really, really critically important part of our planning and, and preparations for the construction and the restoration work. Uh, back in 2018, I convened a uh, cultural resources working group that was made up of all of the, uh, the affected tribes and, and uh, U.S. governmental agencies and state agencies uh, to bring, bring people together for purposes of having conversations about how we would respond uh, to various discoveries or inadvertent finds. Uh, it was the forum uh, at which we really developed all of the important plans uh, that we will follow uh, to ensure that we're doing the very best we can to, to provide protections for and respect uh, any discoveries that, that we may have. We have already encountered uh, several inadvertent discoveries as part of the early construction work, and all of those plans that we put in place have proven to be working quite well. And we're going to continue to make this a very high priority. We have tribal 
monitoring crews and archaeologists out uh, out in front of the construction activities, uh, doing monitoring work and exploratory work, uh, and with the input of the, the tribes and others who helped us uh, to prepare the plans, I'm really optimistic uh, that we will be well prepared for uh, any eventuality uh, with regard to a discovery. Uh, our goal is to allow the tribes uh, collectively and individually as appropriate to make determinations as to uh, to what is the appropriate respectful uh, way to, to treat any, uh, any remains or, or any artifacts. And so that will continue to be a very high priority uh, for us throughout the entire project. Thank you, Mark. And also, so th there are these four dams, uh, one's down, three more are gonna come down over the next year and several months, yet, yet there are still these two dams that are upriver of these. So my question is, how far up does the free-flowing river need to go to adequately restore and, and allow these salmon to prosper? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a common refrain here in the Klamath watershed uh, that dam removal is an important uh, uh, project to do, but it is not sufficient to address all of the things that need to be done to, to help uh, recover salmon and, and welcome the salmon back into the, the Klamath watershed. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that there is a lot of work going on. Uh, Barry could probably talk for forever about all the great work that Yurok and other tribal um, entities are doing. Uh, in the lower uh, part of the river, as well as the, uh, the upper basin as well. These two remaining dams uh, do need to be retrofitted with uh, fish passage facilities for both upstream and downstream migration. And so there is work that will be underway uh, to ensure that, uh, that in a timeline that is consistent with the removal of these four hydroelectric dams, uh, that we're not creating or uh, have a continuation of fish passage barriers. So there is a lot more work that needs to be done both on the two dams, but also uh, you know, habitat improvement projects and other things uh, to really create the best possible environment for, uh, for salmon recovery. And Mark, over the past quarter century or so, there have been over a thousand dams that have been removed in the United States. What's driving this trend? Well, I think it's a few things, Sean. I think, uh, you know, we're approaching the, the end of the life of many of these, uh, these dams and, and the related infrastructure. A lot of these uh, old dams have been abandoned and uh, they're filling with sediment. And then I think the other side of that coin is simply that there continues to be, and this is uh, attributable in large part to the continued advocacy uh, and, and uh, increasingly uh, you know, uh, appropriately loud voice of, of tribes to point out these environmental impacts and the social and cultural impacts uh, that accompany the construction and operation of, of dams on rivers uh, around the world. And so I think it's an increasing awareness of those impacts uh, and, you know, that's driving a lot of the, the focus on, on removing these uh, old structures and and removing these barriers uh, and allowing, you know, these watersheds to regain some some sense of balance and and to, you know, create healthier conditions for for the river, for the fish, and and, and for the communities uh, that rely on on the health on these healthy river systems. And looking forward to the future, Mark, 
this conversation here and learning about all these dams that have that have been removed and, and these four dams that are slated to be removed as well. And it really makes one question. I mean, what is the future of building dams? I mean, are, 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 is it almost safe to say that dams in, in many ways could be regarded as kind of an outdated type of infrastructure? Or will we still see new dams being built in the future just to serve other needs? Well, you know, Sean, the, the Klamath River Renewal Corporation was created for the sole purpose of, uh, of focusing on the removal of these four hydroelectric dams on the on the Klamath River. And, and, and the Renewal Corporation really doesn't possess any particular, you know, knowledge about uh, of the future of, of, of dam building or, or dam removal, frankly, in, in, um, in the United States or, or elsewhere. But, you know, from a personal perspective, of course, you know, I, I will say that we, we went through, a, 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 you know, a significant period of, of westward expansion and manifest destiny that uh, you yes. know, did result in the construction of a lot of dams. And I think with the increased awareness of the impacts that I, that I mentioned previously, uh, I think that, uh, that we will uh, at least be much more aware uh, of better construction uh, and and uh, addressing impacts and trying to mitigate those impacts if we're to consider, you know, building more dams in the future. Uh, but I do think that, um, you know, there will be a new awareness, and I think the regulatory environment uh, reflects that, uh, that, uh, you know, that the fate of species that can be impacted by these facilities will get much uh, more consideration and have a higher profile uh, in the discussions going forward. Thanks, Mark. I, I want Barry to chime in as well. Uh, Barry, what are your thoughts going forward? Uh, fewer dams being built, uh, just like I said, perhaps an outdated or antiquated type of infrastructure that today's uh, environmental concerns just don't see uh, a huge need for? I think we, we've we've left the age of dam construction and, and we're in the age of dam decommissioning. And so um, I look forward to to helping others, um, other tribes, other advocacy groups, other states, other federal agencies. I look forward to helping them. Um, you know, there's a lot of dams to be removed, and so I look forward uh, to helping out and using this project as a model. You know, if if we can get it done on the Klamath, we can get it done anywhere. There, there still be there still may be um, you know some room for 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 smaller dams, um, like Mark mentioned. With uh, with uh, with uh, people really thinking about the construction and the impact that those dams are going to have on culture and, and environmental resources, um, there there still may be uh, use for those type of dams. But um, large scale river blocking hydropower dams, I think, are a thing of the past. Thank you, Barry. Let's go ahead and bring Brandy into the discussion now. Brandy Hatcher, treasurer of the Klamath Tribes and also a Klamath Tribe citizen. Brandy, thank you again for joining us, and um, tell us more about what the Klamath tribes want to see happen once the river is restored. What's the goal? Um, the goal is, thank you again for having me on here. Um, the goal is, um, you know, that we're in hopes that the natural flow of the river is restored. Um, the, like Barry and... Um, Mark have mentioned, you know, the um, the um, sediment, the unnatural buildup of the um, sediment and all of those diseases that are 
you know, taking over the waters um, have such a negative impact on the fish, um, any of the living resources within um, the river system. I just think that um, the goals for us is we want to see everything back to its natural state from the head to the mouth. Um, you can't, in my opinion, you cannot just fix a portion of the watershed system. You have to fix the whole thing simultaneously. Um, and I just think it's, you know, up to Mother, Mother Nature and our creator who, you know, put those systems in um, to provide um, food and the um, well-being of all of our tribal brothers and sisters up and down the river system. Um, I hope that answered your question. It sure does, Brandy. Yeah, taking the river back to its natural state. And we're going to have to take a, another short break, Brandy. But when I come back, I want to ask you a question about just what the impact has been on your people without having been able to fish for more than a century. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, uh, we're going to dig into those details and learn a little bit more about how these issues are impacting tribal communities on a spiritual as well as subsistence uh, level. So anyone listening, if you'd like to join this conversation, our phone lines are open right now. Give us a call. We'll get your comments on the air. 1-800-996-2848. Support by AARP. Despite their service to our country, U.S. military vets, active duty service members, and their families are targeted by con artists significantly more than civilians and are 40% more likely to lose money than civilians. Vigilance is our number one weapon against fraud. You have the power to protect yourself. If an offer sounds too good to be true, it probably is. More at aarp.org slash vetsfraudnetwork. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're still taking calls to discuss the Klamath Dam removal. The number to share your comments and questions on air is 1-800-996-2848 or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. That'll work too. Give us a call. And with that, let's take a call. We have Chanupa listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. How are you doing today? great to be back on your show to, you know, give a comment and so hopefully I get a good answer. You know, we have two dams here on the Pioneers Union Reservation that were very essential to our people here in the Lakota country land, okay? And one of the dams was a dam called Ogallala, which is um, northwest of the reservation itself. And they decided to drain this, and they were supposed to reproduce it and bring it back to life. But one of the things they cut off was that the natural rivers, as that lady was saying, some of the traditional fish from the White River flowed into that, okay, that dam. And so since they drained it and they were supposed to turn it into a commercial, you know, endeavor, meaning, you know, a place to attract, you know, tourist people when they come through our reservation because we got two um, casinos, East Winds and uh, uh, Prairie Winds. The thing that is really mind-boggling, okay, a lot of those traditional fish that came from those rivers live there. And so here's how what the, I'm, I'm getting from the young girl when she's talking about saving the traditional fish that, you know, who lived in there. 
Here we are as two-legged people. We're becoming like the enemy, and we're making homelessness out of our natural uh, water's habitats, especially our fish. So that's why I want to comment to that young girl. She did a good job of expressing that. So if she's listening, we'll put our chunk up to you, sister, for addressing it that way from that traditional capacity. And thank you, too, Sean, for doing excellent work in Indian country. Oh. All righty. Chanupa, thank you. Uh, always a good call from Chanupa and warm words for the show as well. We appreciate you up there in Pine Ridge, Chanupa. And let's go back to Brandy. And, and Brandy, I'm going to go ahead and give you a, a chance to respond to our caller, Chanupa. He talks about, uh, I believe what he's saying is that uh, maybe perhaps some of these uh, fish that have just kind of gotten accustomed to these dams uh over 100 years, perhaps, maybe now they're being disrupted, perhaps, in a way that creates challenges going forward. Um, Brandy, please respond if I'm, if I'm capturing that right. So um, I think I, I'll, I'll try my best. So, um, you know, if they're, they've adapted to that, but they haven't adapted very well, in my opinion. You know, they're, some of them are diseased. Um, they're not... You know, just like anybody, you know, we adapt to the way society is. There's lots of changes, and we, you know, you do the best you can to make it through that and survive the best you can. Um, I just think that that they will return in abundance once that water watershed is healthy, cold, um, makes it, you know, more ha- more habitable to them, sorry, <laughs> to um, survive. I mean, um, there was a um, congressman that came um, that we met with a few years ago, and uh, Vice Chair Hatcher and I went along the Klamath Lake from the headwater up where it's nice, cold, clear water, all the way over to the west side, we got samples of water, and um, his comment was, oh, I would like that cold, clean water. And I go, well, how do you think our fish feel? <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. He didn't, of course, he didn't, you know, respond or anything. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I, just think, I just think it's up to Mother Nature and, and, you know, up to our people, those prayers, those everything from creation to, you know, the afterlife. We just need to make it better up and up and down that whole system. Um, and I think we'll see an abundance of um, a lot of things that our people have missed out on for hundreds of years. And that's a key takeaway here from our conversation, Brandy, is that uh, your tribe has been impacted so dramatically over the last century from not being able to fish. So what does this mean just from a spiritual perspective and a cultural perspective for the Klamath tribes uh, now that this river restoration project is unfolding? Um, So um, just to go back a little bit, you know, um, we were promised fish ladders as far back as 19, early 1900s, 1912. Um, there's been no salmon here since then. They were once a staple of our diet. Our people used to take thousands of pounds of salmon from the rivers before the dams went in, and having them home will be a cause for celebration. You know, I just, you know, it's something that our younger generations haven't had a um, 
chance to enjoy or celebrate or understand, you know, some of these um, historical pictures that we have. That's a lot of what our tribal members know is just a picture. So I think spiritually, I think it'll it'll just be part of a, a greater healing process for all of our members. And do you folks have events and activities planned to celebrate uh, when these landmark, uh, these milestones occur with regard to the restoration? Absolutely. My favorite word is um, restoration. I can't wait. I just want to see those riparian areas. I want to see all of that back to its natural state and taken care of the way that it's meant to be. Um, you know, and and we all have to work together to make that happen. And without these dam removals and and um, we're all excited to see see the um, best outcomes up and down the river system. We all have to work together. That's really poignant, Brandy, because I'm thinking of other tribes uh, who might have similar goals. They maybe want to restore a river or perhaps they have a, an old dam that uh, impacts their community and they'd like to take action with that. Uh, what are the lessons here? going forward for other tribes, and what can they learn from uh, what's happening there on the Klamath River? I think what they can learn is um, we shouldn't take advantage of our resources, our natural resources. We need to protect them, just like you would protect your children, your anything meaningful to you. I just think that those are such priceless um, assets you know, and, and you need to really look at those and take care of them the best that you can. And, um, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, they say. It's going to take, take lots of villages to ensure that we get all of our, our treaty resources um, back to the natural state that they were intended for. And Barry, I want to pivot back to you. Do you share Brandy's perspective with regard to the spiritual effect uh, on Native communities with the lack of salmon in your area? Yeah, 100%. Thank you for, for speaking on that, Brandy. Um, you know, Viroc people, um, all Indigenous people in the Klamath Basin relied so heavily on, on the Klamath River and, you know, evolved with a with healthy Klamath River. And you know, since dams went in, and there's a, n a number of other kind of resource extractive industries that have taken hold in the Klamath Basin and, and damaged the, the ecosystem and damaged the river. But the river is uh, is sick now, and we can see that reflected in our people. You know, our people aren't doing well. Um, some of our people aren't doing well, and that's, that's terrible. And, you know, our hope is that um, as we see the river start to heal and come back to life, um, after dam removal and, and with all of these uh, large-scale restoration projects and everything that needs to be done to restore the ecosystem, when we see the river start to heal and we see it start to come back to life, we, we, our hope is that that will be reflected in, in the people of the river as well. We'll see our people heal and we'll see our people come back to life. So um, definitely, definitely um, feel, feel this um, project on a cultural and spiritual level. Thanks, Barry. Brandy, earlier I asked Mark about um, issues with regard to artifacts or remains being uncovered with these projects. What are your thoughts on that? And, and specifically with the Klamath tribe, what are your primary concerns with any of those issues that can arise? Um, 
My primary concern is, um, you know, as devastating as that is, you know, if if there are inadvertent discoveries, we need to, um, as a tribal people, we all come together. We need to um, repatriate those remains. Um, we need to put those people to rest so that they can move on to the after life, they go on to their journeys. Um, I just think that, that it's just such a spiritual, private um, issue um, that we try to protect, that we take very serious. We want to, um, you know, do the right thing by every tribe up and down the ecosystem. We just need to, that is that is just such a critical um, piece to the puzzle in restoring our health, um, our spiritual, put those people to rest and let them move on and and we'll take care of them the best way that we we know how um, in order to move forward in a healthy way. Thanks, Brandy. And Mark, I want to ask you one more question as we begin to wind down the show. And as you mentioned earlier, these dams, they were built at a time when hydroelectric power had significant economic value. And do you think in any way that it took a recognition of the economic value of salmon? Um, do you think that was pivotal in, in gaining traction for this dam removal project? Well, I really do. And, uh, and uh, of course, the, uh, you know, the real catalyst for, for the advocacy and the drive to, to, uh, to, to advanced dam removal resulted from a from a terrible fish kill incident uh, but you know uh, I think there was nothing to, uh, more you know sort of to the point when the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission was announcing that the license surrender order and our decommissioning plans were about to be approved at their meeting uh, when he acknowledged uh, that for the first time ever the decision was being made in the context and with the acknowledgement of the environmental impact and the social and cultural impact uh, due to the importance to tribal peoples uh, of salmon uh, that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission was going to uh, to approve the, the, the plans uh, and, um, and uh, dam removal would move forward. So I think that was a very important consideration. Mark, I know that there were some property owners who were unhappy with the dam removal project. Are, are there still criticisms? Well, there certainly are, are still criticisms, Sean, and, and you know, we'll never uh, uh, change all the, the hearts or minds about, uh, about the project. Uh, but the Renewal Corporation, you know, certainly is sensitive uh, to the fact that there will be private property uh, owners around the reservoirs that uh, could see some direct project impacts uh, and some direct, indirect project impacts. And so we've been working with those people uh, to try to address their concerns, answer their questions, make financial resources available to certain property owners so that they can undertake certain measures uh, to mitigate for for any project impacts. Uh, and, and so um, we understand uh, the concern. We try to provide factual information to answer questions 
uh, and to bring people, uh, you know, the information to allow them to, to really understand what's happening. Uh, I try to encourage people to take a long-term view. As Barry said earlier, we know there's going to be some short-term pain, continued pain uh, for long-term benefit. And, and I'm hopeful that together we can all navigate this uh, next few years and come out the other side of this uh, and acknowledge that uh, it was worth it. Uh, and I really, truly believe in my heart that, that it is all worth it and that we will see uh, positive benefits. Brandy, I want to ask you one more question. And specifically, what strikes me as very challenging here is that you have a number of tribal interests that have a stake here. Your own tribe, the Klamath tribes. We have the Yurok, also Shasta people. How does everyone's voice get heard and how do you all work together to ensure that the end result is going to be beneficial for all tribes that have a stake here on the Klamath River? I think um I think um it took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of it's okay to agree to disagree, but I think the um common denominator there is that this is a a spiritual um connection. I think that it's um you know it, it's it's just spiritual in my opinion. You just you know what you need to survive and when you've been um, thrown into something and you're told that you have to adapt to that, um, you know, those negative impacts of that and trying to survive um, has, a, has a significant um, detriment to your whole being. And in order for us to become whole again, um, it took all of the tribes coming together. And, and um, with that said, they, you know, Finally, somebody listened to us. So after all of these years, I think it just takes a lot of team effort and a lot of hard work. And, um, you know, there's, of course, there's the science, the biologists, all of those that I was way over my, my skill set. But um, I think ultimately it's just being human and, and doing what is the right thing to do. A team effort, as you say, Brandy. Thank you again for joining us. And with that, we have now run out of time. We've reached the end of our hour. But to all of our guests today, Mark Bransom, Barry McCovey, and Brandy Hatcher, thank you for your updates and insights on the Klamath River Dam Removal Project. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow here on Native America Calling as we get an on-the-ground look at the devastating fire in Hawaii and its impact on Native Hawaiians. Until then, stay safe, stay sovereign. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed, and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is, enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, 
commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.